I want to ask you to bow your heads as we open our Bible study, our preaching, part of our worship this morning. God, we come before you after a difficult week and yet we've come to this church for a blessing. And we know that can only happen if you choose to bless us with your presence in this cathedral this morning. And so I want to pray, God, that you will be here. You have been here as we've sung through the stories and through the Dorcas presentation. We've, we've felt you, Lord, but how we need you now to touch our hearts. So come into this room, come into my mind, work through my tongue and may all the glory, praise and honour be to you as we draw closer to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Sometimes preachers have difficulties when it comes to preparing sermons. Not always, but often. In fact, it seems to me the older I get, the more often I have difficulty in preparing sermons. And I spent many hours this week sitting in, on my desk, on my, in, I spent many hours this week on my chair, in front of my desk, staring off into space, looking for inspiration on the topic that I felt the Lord had moved me to preach. Unfortunately, as the week meandered on and went from a meander into a walk into a gallop, I found myself increasingly under more pressure to get a sermon out to preach to the good people of Wurunga SDA this Sabbath. Well, when it got to yesterday morning and I was still struggling, I knew that I was in real trouble. And so I got on my knees and I pled with the Lord for help. Well, I was... I don't know whether you want to use the word convicted, but I did change topics and then I changed topics again until the Lord led me to a topic where I felt peace and I felt that this is what the Lord wanted me to preach for the day. And so I would like to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open to Revelation chapter 3 and I have simply entitled this sermon this morning, Sardis. You know, people who are 90 years of age, people who reach the grand old age of 90 usually find themselves in retirement. Sometimes I look forward to retirement uh, with anticipation. I can imagine being in my four-wheel drive, I haven't got one by the way, but I'd like one, going around Australia, something I've always wanted to do. I can imagine sitting down at my desk trying to write a book. We're allowed to have fantasies, aren't we? I can imagine all these things I'd like to do in retirement, but I would imagine that if the good Lord blesses me with the years and he doesn't come and I reach 90, that well and truly I will be retired. Well, I know at least two people who aren't. I think of our own Franklin Baldwin. Incidentally, he had an operation this week and came through with flying colours. He's building... At, and he turns 90 next month. Now, he's not here today. Don't tell him I told you this. But at 90, he is here. Well, Franklin, I said this because I thought you wouldn't be, brother. Am I allowed to say you turn 90 next month? Someone said too late. He's building this pipe organ. And you want to pray that if Jesus doesn't come, that you're as fit and that your mind works as good as Franklin when you turn 90. I think of another man who turned 90. His name was the Apostle John. He lived to a long, long age and he is perhaps one of the most amazing followers of Jesus ever to walk the planet. 
He started following Jesus, they believe, at somewhere around the age of 16. Now that's young, but what a great time to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. He followed him as a disciple at around 16 years of age. He was there when God came down on the mountain. One of only three disciples when God came down on the mountain and shrouded Jesus in his glory and said, this is my beloved son. John was there. He was deeply privileged in what he was able to see. He, he, was, he was there when Jesus died on the cross. The only disciple not to flee was John. He is arguably the only disciple to die of natural causes. I don't know whether you realise, but 11 of the 12 disciples, it seems, were martyred. John wasn't. He was, he was tossed by Nero into a pot of boiling oil and he did not burn. What a witness to that wicked pagan emperor. And so in frustration, Nero took him and threw him onto the island of Patmos. And at around the grand old age of 90, Franklin's age, God gave him a vision. And in this vision that God gave John, we see perhaps the finest work of John the Apostle's ministry because that vision became the book of Revelation. It was his finest work and it was written sometime between 54 and 68 AD and John was a very, very old man. Now I wonder and I want to see a show of hands today. I'm talking basically to Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And I want a show of hands. I want some life. I want to see some vibrancy out there. How many of you have ever taken the time to sit down, open your Bibles and read the book of Revelation? Let's see your hands. I want to see high, up high. You don't need to be ashamed if you haven't been there. But have you sat up? I can't see. You have got Okay, that's a good smattering of the congregation. Wonderful book. Well, if you've read the book of Revelation, and if you haven't, you better, because if ever there was a book for the times that God has chosen for you to live in, it's today. So if you haven't read the book of Revelation, read it, study it, get to know it. But if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that in the first three chapters, John writes about seven churches. Seven churches that were in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. They were seven brand new churches that had been planted by the apostles. These churches were in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Now Adventists, now Adventists have traditionally said that these seven churches in ancient Turkey represent seven time periods in the history of the church. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? That's what Adventists have traditionally said. I believe there is some truth to that belief that each of these church does each of these churches in ancient Turkey does have some symbolic representation of different time periods of the church through history. Let me give an example. The church of Ephesus represented the apostolic church, the church of the apostles. Started in AD 31, finished around AD 100. You can go to Smyrna, 
about 100 to 313 AD. This is a church that grew rapidly. This is a church that was on fire and yet was was starting to experience just a tiny little bit of, of heresy. Pergamon, 313 to 538 AD. Thyatira, 538 to 1798. This is the church under persecution. And you better believe it. The church of Thyatira in ancient, in prophecy, 50 million Christians were killed. Sardis, 1798 to 1833. That ought to sound familiar to Seventh-day Adventists. And of course, Laodicea. 1833 to now. Now when we study these seven churches as Seventh-day Adventists, one of the things we like to do is focus on one particular church of those seven. Which one is it? Laodicea. Why are we always focusing on Laodicea? Because Laodicea is what church? It's the last church and it represents who? You and me. So you want to find out what the church is like in 2006, you want to find out what the church is about to face, what it's going through, go and study the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. But today I don't want to look at Laodicea, I want to look at the fifth church, Sardis. And I believe as we do this study for a few moments this morning that God has something to tell you from this church. Revelation chapter 3. Now, before we open the Bible and go any further, I just want to tell you something about Sardis. It was in ancient, well, modern day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. It was a large city, but it certainly did not have the wealth or the power of Ephesus. It was a pagan city. There were many gods and goddesses and they worshipped these gods and goddesses with great enthusiasm. They had a very strong army. And so it was a powerful city, it was a safe city and so people were able to invest their money in this city. <coughs> Excuse me. It was at the trading crossroads of, ancient, of the ancient kingdom of Rome and lastly it was very, very wealthy. Now if you are to look at this study, I, I wish I had written this down on, on the board really. There are four things I want to look at quickly today. God writes through the Apostle John to this church in Sardis. And there are four things. There is a problem, number one. And God identifies the problem. Number two, immediately God identifies the solution. Number three, then God gives this church some praise. And finally, God leaves it with a promise. So four things. See if you can, if you've got a pen, write it down if you want to follow on. There is a problem. There is a solution. Then God gives the church some praise and finally God leaves the church with a promise. Let's have a look at the study. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Sardis. I have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Listen to what I say. This is Jesus. I know what you are doing. Everyone may think you are alive. Look what God says to Sardis. But you are dead. Wow. If God wrote this to the, if God wrote that message to this church, I'd be disturbed. He said, Sardis, this is God speaking. He said, I know that everybody thinks you are alive, but you are dead. Now, who are these seven spirits? If I had time, I'd go into this more, but I'll just tell you very briefly. The seven spirits are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The seven stars in this verse are who? 
Come on, Adventists, who are they? They're the seven churches. So really what this verse is saying, look at it on the board, is that God holds the church of Sardis in his hands. Even though this church comes under a scathing rebuke from God, even though God here is remonstrating with Sardis, He still holds the church in his hands. Look at it, verse 1. This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Sardis. I have the seven spirits of God. That says, I have, Jesus says, I have the Holy Spirit and the seven stars. Jesus says, I hold these seven churches in my hand and Sardis, you are in my hand. People think that you are alive. I know you are dead, but I still treasure you. And you know sometimes the Seventh-day Adventists, we look at the church, we look at the pastors, we look at the conference, the union, the division, even the general conference, and we are discouraged and we can get critical and we can say the church is going to rack and ruin. Church doesn't worship how it should. Church doesn't do what it should. But you know what? The church praise God. The Seventh-day Adventist church is in the hands of God through our weaknesses, sometimes through our apostasy and through our victories. Jesus has us in his, in his hands. And if you are discouraged today and you are thinking of leaving Adventism because of what you perceive is happening, I want to direct you to the church of Sardis, a church that people looked at and thought was alive. It was totally dead. But God still had this church. Praise God for his grace and mercy. He still had this church in his hands. This dead church. I thought about that. What is a dead church? I remember my brother Colin. I lent him my Mazda RX-3. The joy of my heart. Fast car. I had spent in those days a lot of money on it. And I lent him, I lent this beautiful car to him. He took it out on the road and he blew it up. And he brings it home behind the tow truck and wonders why I'm not happy. You know, that car was dead. Turn the ignition, it was dead. Try everything we could, it was dead. The only thing that brought that horrible car back to life was a brand new engine. It was dead. And that's what the church of Sardis was. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. You can wear your suit to church. I'm in a church full of people wearing suits this morning. You can wear your, your suit to church. Listen to me, you can attend the church board. You can attend the church business meetings. You can pay, pay your tithe. You can, praise God, turn up to the working bees. Oh, we, we want you to do that. You can, you can teach Sabbath school lesson, you can sing in the choir, you can hold church office, you can love your wife, you can pay your taxes and you can even preach from the pulpit. But if you don't have Jesus in your heart, then like Sardis, you are stone cold dead. Do you hear me? Stone cold dead. You can have, you can have the appearance of being a Christian Seventh-day Adventist. People can say, well, look at him up there preaching. He must have a good relationship with the Lord. He's on fire. He's okay. If I don't have Jesus in my heart, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what you think. I would be stone cold, dead. And the problem with Adventism today in the West, in Australia, I pray not here in Warunga, is that too many people come to church. They look good. 
They sound good, but they're stone cold dead. Well, I think there's a message from this church for all of us today. How do I know I'm dead? You might be asking yourself this morning, am I dead? Let me give you a quick quiz. Number one, Matthew 20, 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and preach the gospel. Matthew 7, 16, God says you know them by their fruits. Let me ask you two quick questions. Listen carefully. Ask yourself the question. This is important this morning. How many people, I've been here for six years almost, how many people, in the six years I've been here, I'm not judging, I'm asking you to ask yourself questions I ask myself these two. How many people in the last six years have you brought to church? Let me ask a second question. How many people in the last six years, just the time I've been here, short time, have I had a part in winning to Jesus? We open the curtain to this font and they get baptised. How many people have I, have you, how many people have you helped put in the font? Now ask yourself the question, am I alive or am I dead? Now before you all get discouraged and walk out of the church and think you're dead, let me tell you some things. Jeff and Joe, you saw them this morning. They come to PNG to share the gospel. The fire of God is burning hot in their hearts They can't be dead. I know of ladies who go down and spend countless hours on our luncheon downstairs spending hundreds of dollars. They're not dead. They're doing their part to share the gospel of Jesus in this community. I know of elders who visit the sick, who visit those who are struggling. They can't be dead. I know of deacons, I know this for a fact in our church, who ring up people. Some ladies not even holding position in the church who send cards to the sick. They are not dead, they are alive. And they have a part in sharing the gospel to the people who are hurting and wounded out there in the area we work in. I wonder though, are you doing these types of things? You don't have to preach, you don't have to teach. But are you doing your part? to advance the cause of God because by their fruits you shall know them. Go therefore and preach the gospel. You know whether you're dead or not. Solution, let's move quickly. Verse 2. Wake up. You have only a little strength left. This is a crisis for Sardis and it is almost gone so try to become stronger. I have found that you are not completely obeying God. I have found that you are not completely obeying God. Remember the teaching that you were given and that you heard. Hold firmly to it and turn from your sins. We're talking solutions. If you don't wake up, I will come when you least expect it, just as a thief does. God says, number one, if you are dead, now you know whether you are dead or not this morning. You know. I don't know. None of the elders know. Nobody knows except you. Sometimes your husband or wife doesn't know. You know if you're dead. The first thing God says is wake up. Second thing he says is, hey, look at the text, obey me. Oh, we struggle in that area. I struggle to obey God. You struggle. You know the areas in your life that you're struggling when it comes to obedience. God says, wake up. And I, I cried to you this morning, wake up if you're dead. And then obey God. You know where you're falling short. Obey God through his strength and his power. Then God says, turn from your sins. Turn, turn from your sins. And he says, if you don't, it reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. He says, if you don't do this, if you don't wake up, 
If you don't obey God, if you don't turn from your sins, oh, this is serious, this is your life. Salvation, this is eternity. Jesus says, I will come when you least expect it. You better believe the people of Sardis listened to this message as it was read from the pulpit. But God is not just working with Sardis for repentance. He recognises that in this pagan, wicked, secular, wealthy city, there are some in his church who have stayed faithful. Verse 4, A few of you in Sardis have not dirtied your clothes with sin. You will walk with me in white clothes because you are worthy. And when I read this, when I was preparing this sermon, and I was comparing Sardis, the experience of the people of Sardis, to my own life, with my own struggles and my own fears and my own failures, as I read this, a few of you in Sardis have not dirtied your clothes. A flicker of hope flames into life in my heart. Could that be me? Could it be some of you? A few of you have not dirtied your clothes. You have not walked down the road of darkness. You are still alive. You have not dirtied your clothes. What, what, what here is John talking about? Well, come with me for, to the promise. Everyone who wins the victory, he's talking to the church in Sardis, but he's talking to you and me. He says, everyone who wins the victory. He says, everyone who wakes up. He says, everyone who obeys me. I am sad that in Adventism we don't hear a lot of obedience preaching anymore. Everyone who wakes up. Everyone who obeys me. Everyone who repents. He says, who wins the victory will wear white clothes. Their names will not be erased from the book of life and I will tell my father and his angels that they are my followers. And then he says to Sardis and he says to Warunga SDA as he concludes this little message to this church, if you have ears, and I'm looking out on a congregation with ears this morning, if you have ears, listen to what the Spirit, listen to what the Holy Spirit, listen to what Jesus says to the churches. What is this white robe? It is a simple thing. It is getting on your knees. Wake up. How do you wake up? Get on your knees. Jesus, I am a sinner. I have wandered from you. The light of you has gone out in my heart. Can you pray? Can some of you pray that this morning? Your light has gone out in my heart. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my heart and save me, I pray. And it is a wonderful thing. It's what the Reformation was built on. Jesus comes down and he puts around you his what? His what? His robe. His character. So that when God looks at you in your struggles, he sees who? Jesus. That's what it means, Jesus Saves. You know, for almost 20 years now, as I close, I have been sharing Jesus with the lost of this world. One of the things that leaves me with no doubt 
that we have a God who lives is the transformation I see in people's hearts, Adventists and non-Adventists alike. We live in a church in the West which I think we can very much look at Sardis and identify with. Am I right? Am I right? The light has gone out in many of our hearts. We look good, we come to church, but we're not followers of Jesus. We're not spending time in Bible study and prayer each day. We're not on our knees asking for the forgiveness of our sins. We have been swamped by the world, by work and everything else. And Jesus has been pushed off to a corner and we look good, we're here at church, we sound good, but we don't have the real thing. And one of the things that gives me confidence that we have a real God is when I see the Lord God coming into the hearts of Seventh-day Adventists and lighting them up with that flame again and seeing them begin to do what God ordained that they should always do. And of course I have the joy of watching people who aren't Adventists, people who aren't Christians find Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. And all Jesus is saying to Sardis, as I conclude today, is people of Sardis, come back to me. Let me into your hearts. Let me heal your wounds and your pain. Let me bring your church back to life. It's a beautiful message, isn't it? And that's what Jesus says to us this morning. Let me into your hearts. Let me bring you back to life. And let me do things through you for your church and your community that you never thought were possible. I want to pray that that will be your experience as you walk with Jesus as we face the end of this world.